If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Well, good morning, church. So good to see all of you here today on this wonderful Lord's Day morning. Uh, I always say when it's raining outside, we're not going to let that affect our spirit in here. So we're just so glad you're here. We have a lot of folks gone because of the Thanksgiving holiday. If you're visiting uh, from out of town for uh, Thanksgiving and spending time with your family, we are glad you joined us today. If you're from the community, we hope you'll continue to come back. Uh, A lot of great things happening here in Somerdale, and we would love to have you be a part of it. Now, I love the text of Scripture that London read for us just a moment ago in Luke chapter 17. I remember one time as a kid, and I don't remember which classroom it was in, it was probably in Oklahoma, where I remember a teacher spending time focusing on this particular story. So if you have your Bibles, open up there to Luke chapter 17. Jesus has taken a moment to heal some individuals. Now today, we're going to focus on how he healed the lepers and the lame. And as we've read the story, just pause here for just a moment and let me, if you will, give you a little bit of a a lesson on what leprosy really is. So if you've ever studied about leprosy, what leprosy is, is it's a skin disease. It starts off with little spots. It was a concern even back in the time of the wilderness. As we know, Moses has given instruction in the book of Leviticus how to treat it and what to do if someone has uh, gotten or contracted leprosy. It is a, basically a life-altering skin disease because it is so contagious that you are not allowed to spend any time around anyone unless they have that disease. In fact, if you were, uh, had to make your way through a community or through a town, through uh, a marketplace or such to get something to eat, you had to cry out with a loud voice, unclean, unclean, so that people knew not to touch you because you were extremely contagious. One of the interesting things about leprosy is that what it does to your nerve endings is it takes away your ability to feel pain. So as you contract leprosy, you might not even know the parts of your body that are worse on the outside than it might look. The skin is just slowly fading away. It starts as white spots. As I said, it spreads across the skin. And eventually, if you are in a leper colony or if you're among other lepers, you will see that uh, people literally will lose their limbs. The body just rots away. It's a terrible, terrible disease. But it's not painful in that it takes away the feeling, the nerve endings, as I said, that produce the pain. And so they in leper colonies will oftentimes have to take an inventory of those that are present to see if they have had any limbs fall off in the night as they have to locate those contaminated items. It's crazy 
what leprosy does. Leprosy is still considered, for the most part, to be a disease that is incurable. There are some things that they can do to slow the process, and luckily there are uh, uh, some medicines and some, some helps that you can get to kind of slow it down or to put it into a time of remission, if you will. But it is a horrible, horrible disease. In Jesus' day, what they did, according to the law of Moses, is they would take those that were contracted with leprosy and put them on the edge of town, uh, out towards the gates of the city. If there were people that were compassionate, they might bring them food, but again, they're not allowed to touch. They would cover their body with coverings so that it might not be seen, and so again, so somebody might actually not brush up against it. Those that were sent to the edge of town that had leprosy were not allowed to see their families again. They got literally the diagnosis and had to leave immediately. They could not go home and gather clothes and kiss their wife and kids goodbye or their husband. They were immediately sent off to a place where they know they were going to rot and die. And what a horrible way to die out there on the edge of the city with nobody around you that you love, just these other people that are suffering and struggling. So when Jesus comes along, And he, the great physician, is able to heal through miracles these terrible diseases. That that information spread just as fast as leprosy could. Faster than leprosy could. And what Jesus does is by performing these miracles, he's showing that no matter what a doctor says, God can heal. No matter what disease or sickness you might have, it is not beyond God's power to be able to remove that from an individual. And so this, of all the miracles, this, and and we might put in that same category, people who were born blind, is one of the greatest things that Jesus ever did. And this is the reason why all four Gospels record story after story after story of Jesus healing people of leprosy. Literally those large white spots that might be all over their body, consumed sometimes in large chunks of their body, were immediately healed. It was visible that they were completely covered, and then suddenly completely healed in one. It's a beautiful story. Now, this story we read today is about 10 that are healed, and only one is thankful. You know why we're doing this, right? Thanksgiving week. But listen carefully again to the story that is told by Dr. Luke. He says, it happened, it was went through Jerusalem as he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and the cities where he had been before. In Samaria, he didn't, he didn't stay there long. But he comes through and he enters into this village where he meets ten men who were lepers. And it says they were afar off, just like as I mentioned to you, they're on the city gates, they're far away from other people. And again, given a diagnosis that is going to kill them. There is nothing that they could do about it. No matter what ointment you had or what therapy was given, you could not be healed of this disease. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're begging Jesus not to pass them by as everyone else did. Now they know that Jesus, they know who he is. They call him by Master. They recognize him as someone who with great power. But they want a miracle. These ten men are begging Jesus to come and provide for them a service that could not be offered by anyone with human hands. And now they lift up these voices and say, mercy on us. Verse 14 says, when he saw them, when he recognized them. You see, it's easy to ignore 
the individuals that are suffering that we feel like there's no explanation and there's no solution and there's no, there's no diagnosis that can be given where it's going to be gone, right? Jesus, like everybody else, is walking right by these individuals, but when he sees them as they cry out, it says, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went... They were cleansed. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That he said, go to the priests, which they're not allowed to do at a, unless it's at a distance. And he says, I need you to go to the priests. Go to the temple. Go to someone and show them your body. Now, they've already done that. They've gotten the diagnosis. Why would they do that again? So in faith, these men have to leave where they are, where they're condemned, where they're lost, where they are without any hope. And he says, I need you to go into the city and I need you to go show yourself to the priests. Because what Jesus is going to do is by their faith, they're going to be made well. It is on the journey that they received the healing. It was not in that moment of despair, but in their faith as they moved forward towards the place where God had told them to go, the God the Son had told them to go, they receive the miracle. And so in their passage, they're noticing this healing. And when they arrive, the leprosy is completely gone. Beautiful story, right? Well, if it ended there, you'd think, man, that's, that's really a good little story. But we would also have a little curiosity as to who these ten lepers were and what happened to them after the story. So Luke does a great job of giving us a little bit more. Now, it's going to frustrate you. If it doesn't, something's wrong. Check your heart. All right, the worst disease known to man, incurable, no doctor, no therapy, no ointment could help. Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests on the way they're healed. You got it, right? Verse 15. And one of them, and one, and one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, that's Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Of all the things that Jesus could have done, this was one of the greatest miracles ever performed on the earth. And these ten men who had been separated from their family, separated from their friends, not allowed to worship, not allowed to go into a public setting without covering themselves and crying out if they're, they're unclean, have just been healed of this beautiful, wonderful thing. This miracle has taken place and only one of them comes back and says thank you. Now, boy, we're pretty frustrated, right? Doesn't that frustrate you a little bit? The greatest miracle that Jesus could perform among men, and only one comes back to say thank you. Now, Jesus, in a moment, says, by the way, you know, this guy's a foreigner. You know, he, he, he makes that clear. This guy who is coming back to praise me is someone who's a Samaritan, who, according to John 4 and other texts in Scripture, they didn't get along with the Samaritans very much. 
But Jesus recognizes that he's going to come back no matter what his state was, no matter what his language was, no matter what his nationality was, this guy was healed as God is no respecter of persons. He'll let the sun rise and set on the just and the unjust. Rain, same thing. Everything God does is to bless all of creation. And so this man returns and he thanks God. Now what about the other nine? Have you ever wondered what happened to these other guys? You see, sometimes when God does something great for us, rather than talking to him and praising him and being thankful for him and what he's done, it's almost this expectation that I deserve it. Now, I'm not going to speculate as to the nationality of these other nine guys. I'm not going to say that those nine guys were all Jews. But it seems to be implied from the text that the only one who returned was not a Jew. And there was some that thought, by compulsion, God must do what I say he needs to do. This thought that God should answer my prayers because I'm a child of God. Jesus should perform this miracle because I deserve it. I am deserving of God's grace and of God's mercy. They're crying out, Son of David, have mercy. They knew what he could do, and they knew that he was compelled by compassion to probably do it. But they're ungrateful. It's out of their expectation, and notice it is their faith that made them well. This wasn't like immediately the the leprosy just disappeared. It's almost as if as they went on the journey, they continued to be healed. At some point, you're noticing the spots are being taken away from your body. At some point where you were unable to walk because a giant part of your leg here has been completely rotted away, you're able to run, and their thought was, go home. Their thought was, go and tell people about it. Their thought was, get back to everyday home life. But the Samaritan says, I can't do that. I can't go back to who I was. I need to go praise Jesus first. And he glorifies God. And Jesus makes an example out of him. And I wonder how many times we would find ourselves in this position where we have an answer to prayer and we've asked God for something and we say, well, that was expected. I expect God to hear my prayers and I expect God to answer my prayers because he loves me and I'm his child and I've been covered by the blood of Jesus and I'm part of his church and this expectation God will do. God is not going to do something just because you ask for it. Sometimes the things you ask for, you don't need. And what you think you want is only a temporary thing. How many times have we, through our lives, as we've gotten older, thought about the things we prayed for as a kid? I remember a child, one time, the story of a friend of mine who was at a church, and this little boy came forward, and, uh, and, and the little boy, he, the, the preacher says, what can we do for you? And he thinks maybe he's wanting to be baptized or whatever, and he says, I need a new bicycle. I want you to ask God to give me a new bicycle, you know. Oh, how our prayers change as we get older. We start asking God for certain things that we think we've got to have, and we don't need those things. But we've got to praise God for what we already have. We've got to praise God for what He's already doing. And in this moment, this one foreigner, this one Samaritan, sets the powerful example for all of Israel. Because it doesn't matter what... God does for certain individuals. It doesn't matter, again, what their nationality is, where they're from, anything like that. When someone has been taken care of by God and a prayer has been answered, then glory must be given, not just by Samaritans, but by Jews too. You ever wonder why how many people there standing, why did the other nine guys not come back? 
The Samaritan comes back. Why are these other guys not going to reveal themselves? Were they not healed? Well, of course they were healed. Maybe they went somewhere else and told people about it. Or maybe they didn't want to travel the road back to Jesus because they'd have had to have walked with a Samaritan. They would have had to appraise God with someone who was unlike them. We'll just have to wait till we get to heaven to get those questions answered. But Jesus makes a habit of healing lepers. And the story isn't over because there are more. Uh, Luke gives us another example. Earlier in chapter 4, we see in Matthew chapter 10, verse 18 and 11, verse 5. I've got several of these scriptures on the screen where Jesus continues to heal lepers. And all the signs are proving that Jesus is the Christ. You would think that at some point, people would say, if he can heal lepers, then he can do anything. Jesus also healed those that had body parts that had been withered or unable to be moved. Remember, we've already studied about a couple of these, but one great story is found in Luke chapter 6, where the man with the withered hand is healed. There, of course, are other examples like this of, of body parts that suddenly didn't, that were not working and one moment began working, whether it be eyesight or hearing or speech. But that's the way Jesus works. I want to share one more story in John chapter 18, and then we'll talk about the application. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 18, beginning at verse 1. While you're turning there, I'll tell you that Jesus at the Last Supper to ask his disciples if they had swords, if they had anything to take with them to the garden, anticipating that Judas was going to come and take them. And they say, well, we have two swords. He says, that's enough. One of them was carried by Peter underneath his garment. This would have been a sword that would have been, we would say, a short sword, a small sword that would have been used in very close combat. And so they make their way to the garden, Peter having that sword on him, as Luke tells us. We read these verses beginning chapter 18 and verse 1. When Jesus spoke these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all these things, that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, this is the second time, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I have told you, I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that they might be spoken or, or might be fulfilled by which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I've lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Interesting story, this is not the end of Malchus's story, nor of the servants that were present at this event, because later they'll come back up at the fire scene when Jesus is going through his trials. But look at this story with me, and recognize, again, Peter has the sword, 
and he cuts off Malchus's ear. Now, anyone who reads this story and studies this story has to know that, that, that Peter was not going for an earshot, right? If you're going with a short sword and you're doing the best that you can, he is going for his throat. For whatever reason, whether it's, it's the dark, remember they've got these lanterns that are shining a little bit, but he cuts off the ear. Now, this is important. Don't forget this fact. According to the law, if you defamed someone who worked for the high priest physically, where therefore they could no longer serve, it was a capital offense. By cutting off Malchus's ear, Peter would be condemned to capital punishment. I studied that on my own. Nobody ever told me that as a kid. Did you know that? It's capital punishment if you defame a servant of the high priest. If you're able to maim him where he can no longer serve in service. And so what Jesus does then is he takes that ear and he places it back against his head and he heals it back to exactly like it was before. Now I'm going to assume, maybe this is wrong, but maybe this is my assumption, is that there's probably blood still on his garments. You can't lose something that large and not have some effects of it. But God gives Jesus this power to heal, and he heals completely. And by healing this man, there is nowhere on his body that a scar could be seen. This miracle is so profound that when they get to the scene where they're around the fire later in the gospel, that the other servants of the high priest who knew Malchus said, we know you, we just saw you. I mean, he was, he was with, with him in the garden. They knew Peter was one of them. And what Jesus does beautifully, it's a side note, by the way, to the story, is that when we make blunderous mistakes and we do stupid things, that Jesus, by the power he has, can cleanse and make whole and remove any shame that goes along with it. By healing Peter, he not only helped him out of this jam, he saved his life. And so Malchus now completely healed. Imagine being stunned of this miracle. Now has to walk around thinking, what just happened? But Jesus performs the miracle not just for Malchus's benefit, but he does it for Peter's benefit. And Jesus, if there's one thing we know he does well, it is remove shame and guilt. Malchus is healed. This left a lasting impression in Peter's mind. Had to have left a lasting impression. Now, what does all this mean? Jesus' miracles with the withered hand and with the leprosy and with the healing of Malchus's ear. I submit to you that there's a few things we can take from it. One is, God loves a challenge, right? I was teaching this morning in our class. We're talking about mental health and talking about Elijah's uh, cave moment where he just literally balls up in a cave and wants to die, tells God he wants to die. Sounds very similar to guys like Jonah and other characters in the Bible that just get so depressed and so consumed and we ask the question, why would God do this? You know, why would God do this for Elijah in his weakest moment? Well, God works best when we're on our knees. His best work is when we have humbled ourselves. God loves a challenge. That's the reason why he used David to kill Goliath. It's the reason why Jesus came not in the form of a king with great crowns and jewelry and robes on a throne that was meant for a king. He sent him to a stable to be born in a manger and to be raised by a poor family. God loves a challenge. And so you look at your life and you say, well, I'm dealing with this. Give it to God. He loves the challenge. And you and I know, if we're going to use wisdom that's been given to us from God, that we couldn't do it on our own anyway. 
This man who is healed of his ear didn't ask Jesus for the healing, didn't think about Jesus healing him. All he could think about was that he was bleeding from the side of his head. The withered hand, the man with the withered, the, the lepers that are outside at the lepers' colony, all that they could think about is what they were going through, what they were dealing with. The one thing that they did right was they gave it over to God. Whenever we suffer, we struggle, we need to admit that God is our great physician. He is the healer. He is the counselor. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I have to get to a point in my walk with God that I know he can do all things, and so I submit it and lay it at his feet. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this morning, this is harder than it sounds. Hello, y'all with me? This is tough. It's tough to be able to say, God, I, I don't know what to do with this anymore. I don't know how to handle this anymore, and I need you to handle it. Because I'll tell you, I've had those prayers where I've said, God, I can't do this. Please take it. Please deal with it. And I'll get up off my knees, and you know what I do? I pick it right back up again. Because it's easier for us to think that we might be able to fix our situation when the truth is there are some things you and I just can't fix. There are some things that will just never change. And by me getting on my knees and talking to God, something amazing happens. Not only is it my surrender to God to take the problem or whatever I'm dealing with, but it also reminds me that in his wisdom, he knows what's best. And that means sometimes things aren't going to happen the way we like it. They're not going to happen the way we want it. But I need to praise God anyway. I've got to praise God in the storm Instead of griping about the storm, thankful that God has decided to stay beside us. The Lord also loves repetition. How come is it just one miracle? Why do we have to have so many miracles of Jesus? He's already healed leprosy. We got it. Do we have to know it again? Yes, you do. Because repetition is important to remind us of what God has done. Go back to the Old Testament. How many times do they talk about the Red Sea and talk about Moses and the burning bush? And how many times they talk about being brought out of the wilderness and all those things? The feast days that they had were a reminder of those events. The Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booze was a yearly reminder. We all lived in tents in Egypt. We ought to be thankful for what we have. And so in this moment where we read these stories of the leprosy, God is showing us that he is consistent. He does things repetitively. God works on cycles. And if you don't believe that, go back to the Genesis creation account. There are seasons. Listen to me, church. There are seasons that God has designed. And that means just as there is a fall and a winter and a spring and a summer, there are seasons in our life. It's not always going to be winter, and it's always not going to be summer either. It's, we have to look at our life and say, this is just a season that I am going through. And maybe instead of worrying about the next season, I praise him for the one I'm in or the one I came out of. But I'm so consumed sometimes. We're so consumed in the moment. God shows us that he is a God who works on patterns I love James's comment in James 1.17 when he says every good and perfect gift comes down from above, coming down from the Father of lights from whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I love that. He, pay attention to the stories. Pay attention to the details. Read them over and over and over again. God, what God has done is a reminder of what he'll continue to do. Third of all, I want us to notice that God wants to touch us. He wants to help us. He has compassion over us. You know, the Lord in the garden, 
had a dream of what he wanted to do, a vision of what he wanted to do to create man. And what he did in that creation account is he takes him, he molds him out of the dust of the earth, he fashions him, he puts a spirit inside of him, and he breathes into his life through his nostrils the breath of life. He had molded him like the potter molds the clay for something that is useful And God wants to touch us. He wants to use us. He wants to mold us. He wants to make us. And he does that in his New Testament church by giving us his Holy Spirit to hopefully recreate us from the inside out. Changes our way of thinking. Changes our words and our thoughts. And eventually, God will get our actions. But he starts on the inward part of man. God has always done that. He's worked on the inside. Now, the last thing is the Lord wants us to hear Him. We talk to God, but we also have to let God talk back to us. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's some people today that say that God speaks in an audible voice. They hear Him talking. I've never had that experience. I said, I think it was last Wednesday when we were in class, or Tuesday when we were in class, that's not how God works anymore. That's not His goal, is to speak to us personally. What God does is He speaks to us through His Word. This is wrapped up for us in a nice bow in Hebrews chapter 1. God speaks to us through His Word. Now, there are things that we will see and we'll say, that's God's handiwork. Or it seems like in that God is saying something, right? Because we see it and it's very clear. A sign is very clear what God is doing. But God wants to speak to us through his word. And this is why when we go through those times of trouble and struggle, we shouldn't just spend time in prayer. We should also spend time in reading the word of God. In this story and all these stories, these individuals had to pause and listen to the voice of God, not the one in their head, but listen to the voice of of God. We also need to listen to the voice of God. If we listen to the voice of God, if we listen to what God says, we will see the hope. God has always been there for his people. You know, David talks about how he'd never seen the righteous go without bread. There are times we see in scripture, like for instance in James, we mentioned chapter 1, but go over to chapter 5, it says that, uh, that he is, is willing to hear those, the righteous man's prayers will avail much. We, we know those verses, we understand it, and so we pray and we pray and we pray, but we've also got to listen. So if you're going through a season of life where things are difficult, some of us are there. I mean, some of us, we, we might as well be weather forecasters, we've been through it so much. We're like, you know, Cantori down here talking about hurricanes because we've been through them. We're still in them. Can't get out of it. It's category five all the time. Listen, we get discouraged and we get upset. We get depressed. We get frustrated. And we pray and we say, God, would you please help me? Please help me. Please help me. God wants to help you. You'll be surprised sometimes, even in daily Bible readings, You'll run across a passage and you go, that seems like that was written for me. Yet it was written thousands of years ago. Because the word of God is living and active. And what God wants to do when we read those verses is for those words to leap off the page and get into our mind. If he helped Elijah, he'll help me. If he helped David, he's there for me. If he helped Moses... If he helped the leper and the lame and the man with the withered hand, if he helped Malchus, he'll also be there for me. 
Remember the promises of God. When you're going through pain and suffering, remember the promises of God. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. If God is for us, who can be against us? Don't listen to the lies and don't listen to the voice in your head that tells you you're all alone because you will ne- as long as you're in Christ, you will never be alone. And the other thing is, I want you to look around you. One of the blessings that God does in the church is He puts us in the same boat. You and I may be going through a time of a season of good things, but there are others that are going through seasons that are so unbearable that they don't think they're going to survive. It is our responsibility to reach out to one another and walk through it together. Uh, Paul told the Galatian church, he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We want to encourage you this morning, whatever you're going through, to know that there are brothers and sisters here that are here to help. We're here to pray for you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to walk through it with you. You are never alone. The other thing is, if you are outside of the body of Christ, if you have never put on Christ in baptism, then you don't have access through prayer for these blessings and benefits. So we encourage you this morning, if you will come and you will say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I want to confess that before men. I want to say today, He is my Savior. We encourage you to do that. But continue with the steps that God requires. Repent of your past sins. Let go of all those burdens and give them to God. Let them, be, let them die on the cross with Jesus. And then be immersed in the blood of Christ. Be baptized and have your sins washed away so that when those moments of despair come, the hope of eternal life that's in you, the seal of the Holy Spirit that's in you, the joy of your salvation will be the one thing that gets you through. I know that I'm God's child and I know he'll walk with me through it. And if you're not in Christ, you don't have that hope. So do it today. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.